Hey, everybody. So, uh, I'm going to get, hold on, I'm going to get my table. I'll be right there. So we are beginning this brand new series called uh, Great Summer Reads. And so have you read any good books lately? Yes, that's terrific. You know, that's like a great question to ask people as you are uh, out and you get great conversations as people start to share with you different books, right? Summertime is that time when you're looking for that one book that's going to just uh, uh, capture you and you're just going to be drawn into it. You're going to love the story. We love stories. Uh, We're going to look at some great stories throughout the Bible. Uh, This morning, we're going to start with Exodus, which is why you get to see that little video there. Uh, Our goal throughout this journey is to look at these epic stories Look at the characters in, uh, in these stories, tracing the flow of God's love and, and see how it relates to human history. Uh, we're going to look at stories like Moses, like I said, Elijah next week, Esther, Samson, Ruth. Uh, all these stories that we're going to look at are filled with courage and faith and wisdom and strength. And throughout it all, we are going to ask the question, what do these grand stories have to do with me? Uh, we're going to start with this Exodus story, and I think in our 21st century. Uh, a quick history lesson from last week, we finished our Joseph series. So a quick history, a quick history lesson from Joseph to Moses. Uh, several hundred years have gone by since Joseph was in Egypt. The verse is up on the screen. It says this, Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph and what he had done. So generations have passed since the time of Joseph in Egypt. Hundreds of years. The culture is changing in Egypt. Probably not overnight, but it is slowly changing. The writer of Exodus says, Eventually, a new king came to power who knew nothing of Joseph. So there's a new king, there's new leadership, which means there's a new agenda. The world is not as it was before, it's changing. And the king, we will see in the next verses we're going to read, the king sees the Israelites as a threat. The Israelites were not Egyptian. They were different. And that difference made the king uncomfortable, and it seems brought fear, or at least the king was going to use fear, and it definitely brought some paranoia. The king was fearful of these people, and or he used fear as his ally. Now, it just so happens, and this is when the light bulb went off, how closely this connects to our 21st century, is I was reading an article about our former president, Barack Obama, and he had this to say most recently. He said this last week. It's not on the screen because I found it too late to make the slides says this just listen carefully he says fear is powerful telling people that somebody's out to get you or that somebody wants your job or somebody has it out for you is going to change you it's going to change your community it's going to change your way of life that's an old story and it has shown itself to be powerful in societies all around the world it is a deliberate systematic effort to tap into the part of our brain that carries fear in it. And so this Pharaoh wants to address this fear. This fear of the Israelites who are different. They're not Egyptian. And to prove that this fear is warranted or maybe to maintain control of a population, the king chooses to institute slavery. 
Now, we don't know if this was an overnight law. Based on the scripture, it's hard to tell. Or whether this was a slow and deliberate change in the culture. But we know that the Israelites systematically become dehumanized. They become a tool used for the Egyptian economy. So again, up on the screen in Exodus chapter 1, beginning with verse 11. Let me challenge you before we read that, that we're going to fly through the first 20 chapters this morning. Fly through it. This is really, I know I say this a lot, but if, if you're looking for a Bible story to read over the next week or so, these 20 chapters in Exodus are exciting. They're fun. Uh, read it. Uh, just, uh, just, just, it's just great stuff. So we're going to fly through this Exodus history. But up on the screen, uh, chapter 1, verse 11. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. Let me pause there just for a second. So Pithom and Ramses are storage cities. You know what I mean by a storage city? It is a city, its purpose is to store things. And so these cities were built. They were built by the Israelite slaves, and they were built so that the king would have a place to store things. What do you think he would store in these cities? You would store food, right. And so now there are people who are farming for the king's purposes and they're taking these, these goods that are raised through farming and they're being stored in these two cities. So the king is getting richer off the backs of the Israelite slaves. So when there's a famine in the land, what can the king do? The king can now sell the same goods that were just farmed by the same people. See that? So the king, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. It's an upside down economy that's being created here in Egypt. There was this gross inequality. Humans were seeing other humans as objects to be used. People have become property. Some humans are better than other humans. This is all what's happening thousands of years ago, written 3,000 years ago in Exodus. Isn't this fascinating? This is a centuries-old history, thousands of years, and yet it is so relevant. In our brief 250-year history as a nation, this story connects to pre-Civil War slavery, where the rich got richer. It connects so well to post-Civil War civil rights, where, oppression, where those who were oppressed were told to remain quiet. People were seen as property. People were seen as less than human. Families are sold and separated. And today, in the 21st century, we live in a world that is filled with similar threats and fears, both real and perceived. What is new is often seen as a threat, and differences are feared. And so fear, then, is used to influence there are media wars and political battles. There are battles between politicians and television stars. Social media is used as a bully pulpit and it's used to influence. And it's created this polarized nation that we're all a part of. It's this broken, broken world. And it seems to be becoming more and more broken. Sadly, it seems that it's not getting better, but getting worse. That there are shootings and race relations and political battle lines. That every time we watch the news, there's another video 
of another arrest gone wrong or there's another shooting. We were watching this uh, this week, Kelly and I, on the news, and the, the number of shootings is almost one per day at six months into 2018, where four or five, four or more people are killed. More than one per day. I, I was shocked. Almost one per day, not more than that, almost one per day. I was shocked. I was like, I realized I've become numb to it. It just happens, and it, we just move on with life. And so we have this polarized nation. Opinions are strong. Disagreements are heated. It's mean-spirited. And whatever your political position, the families that are torn apart on the news is heartbreaking. It's a broken, broken world. And somehow our world has changed. Somehow it's changing almost right before our eyes, or maybe not so. Maybe it's been happening all along and we just didn't notice the slow drift but i see it on facebook as well i trusted enough to write anything on there but i read my news feed and i hear comments from you folks and folks like you and these are just two of them that i read this week someone asked this question what has happened to my united states someone else asked or are commented and said, I don't recognize my country. These are the things that we're feeling. These are the things that we're seeing. This is, this is it, it, it's, it's bothering us. And here we are reading about an event that was written over 3,000 years ago. Things really haven't changed that much, it seems. It's like it was written for us today. And so this quick, brief history of Moses. We don't have the time to discuss the whole story again. Read Exodus chapters 1 through 20. Moses was in Egypt. The king has instituted this most gruesome law that all male babies born were to be killed. It's the way to dehumanize a people group. Population control was the motive for the Israelites. Moses' mom, to save him, notice she breaks the law. She, she puts him in the river and makes it so that he easily passes by the princess of Egypt. The princess sees Moses. The scriptures say that he's a good-looking baby. Raises, and she takes Moses in and raises Moses in the palace where he receives the best education possible, and he lives in the palace through his adulthood. Now, we're going to read part of the story, but what I wanted to do is, as I was looking to summarize the story, because it's 20 chapters long, I realized someone summarized it for me. It's in Acts chapter 7. Stephen did this incredible job of telling the story of Moses, so I'm going to cheat, and we're going to use Stephen's story from Acts chapter 7. So, if you don't have time for 20 chapters in Exodus then you can go to Acts chapter 7. It'll take you about 15 minutes. So now, what, you don't have 15 minutes to read this story? All right, up on the screen. Stephen tells us that one day when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. Now, there are some scriptures that, in the Old Testament, as you read this, that he wasn't, to visit his relatives is kind of a soft term. He really was going out to connect, to see the Hebrews, to see his people. It wasn't just, it wasn't a family reunion, necessarily, all right? He's going to see the Hebrews. 
Verse 24, he saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed, that's always a mistake, right, to assume. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. So some questions, that I, a question I don't have the answer to, I'm just going to give you some guesses along here, is why did Moses wait till 40 years old to go out and see the Hebrews? So my thoughts are, was he never told that he was a Hebrew? Possibly. He grew up in the Egyptian palace as an infant. He may have not known he was Hebrew. Uh, is it possible that the cultural divide has become so great that the Egyptians and the Hebrews, an Egyptian of, of palace um, residency, would never be involved with a Hebrew culture or community? So was it that separated the cultures are that separated was Moses just uninformed I don't know <laughs> we're just gonna leave that there I just find it interesting that he waited till he was 40 but Moses sees an injustice and he chooses to respond Moses acts but yet he's young and misguided he thinks that by defending this Israelite someone who's a brother of his, right, uh, the same culture, the same nation, he assumes that this man is going to uh, recognize that God has sent him. Now, God's been silent for 400 years. Moses is a little misguided here. It's likely that for the Israelites, thoughts of God are long gone from anyone's memory. It's been generations. So then it says in verse 26, the next day, all right, the day after he murdered somebody, that's what you do the next day is you go back, <laughs> I guess. The next day, the next day he visited them again and he saw two men of Israel fighting. Now there's two folks, both Israelites, both slaves, and they're fighting. He tried to be, Stephen says he tried, he tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you're brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. And there his two sons were born. So again, Moses sees something that isn't right and he chooses to respond. He acts. Moses is unaware how damaged and how toxic and how polarized the culture has become and how filled with anger it is that these two men have a disagreement. Moses tries to be a mediator and it fails. Moses is a man of action. He sees an injustice. He sees a broken relationship and he responds. Is he misguided? At this point in his life, yes, absolutely. But I would suggest that there's a raw character there that God is attracted to. That Moses discovers that the king, oh, so, so Moses discovers that the king uh, knows that he murdered an Egyptian and he wants, and wants to kill Moses, so Moses leaves town. He runs out into the wilderness, and there he meets his wife, Zipporah. Fun story, I wanted to tell that, we don't have time. He has a couple kids. He uh, grows up. 
in his maturity, it seems. He's now a shepherd. Forty years go by. And Stephen tells us this. It's up on the screen again. Forty years later in the desert, near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. And when Moses, Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. As he went to take a closer look, the voice of the Lord called out to him, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses shook with terror and did not dare to look. So a bush burning in the desert is not that unusual. I mean, it's... <laughs> Today's a great day for this, right? It's like, what, like 100 degrees outside? We got here a little bit late into the building, and we were, we were locked out this morning. Uh, a custodian forgot about us, and so we were a little bit behind. And so as I got here, Scott said, could you set up the flags? And I went, yeah, I can do that. I know how to do that. Uh, it's 100 degrees outside. Like, set the flags. It's like sweating from putting two flags together. It's like, I'm never volunteering to do that ever again, right? The next time he'll ask me, it'll be January. It'll be zero degrees out. <laughs> so a flag spontaneously combusting in the desert. Uh, a flag. <laughs> I kind of felt like it was, a, yeah, okay. So a bush spontaneously combusting in the desert is not unusual. What drew Moses' attention was what? that the bush didn't get consumed. It kept burning. So how long did Moses stare at that bush? But when you're a shepherd, you have nothing else to do. And so he stared at a bush that was burning, and it kept burning, and it kept burning, and then he became curious enough that he went over to check it out. Again, he acts. He sees something, and he moves towards it. So he's at the bush, God's voice speaks through it. And then verse 33, Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. And then God says this, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groans and have come down to rescue them. Now go, for I am sending you back to Egypt. Moses discovers that after 400 years, God is here, and God is seeing, and God is listening, and God is going to respond. So God sees, hears, and responds. And I wonder if that isn't what God was so attracted to about Moses, that he had the same kind of reaction. Misguided, but yet the same kind of reaction. And he says, go. He tells Moses, I want you to go. Go to that toxic culture. Go to that upside down world. I want you to speak against the powers in control. And I want you to rescue others and bring them out. And so Moses sets off on this adventure. He stands before Pharaoh. Uh, you can read that in chapters 1 through 20. Pharaoh will not let the Israelites go. It would be an economic disaster to Egypt. Ten plagues later, the Israelites are set free. Then they travel to the Red Sea. 
In the meantime, while they're traveling to the Red Sea, Pharaoh changes his mind. He lets them go, but then I think he recognizes this is going to be worse than if they stayed. And so he changes his mind. They get all the chariots together, and they come racing after the Israelites. And so now there's the Red Sea in front of them, the Israelite, uh, the Egyptian army behind them at the Red Sea. Moses walks out and puts his staff in the water, and the water parts, and the Israelites walk across. The waters close on the Egyptian army, and all the chariots and men are destroyed. Then a few words later, I don't know how many years, how many days, Ten Commandments, you can read about that story. Then there's 40 years of wandering. Then they arrive at the border of the promised land. So Moses is a leader. He's a shepherd and a mediator between God and the Israelites. And the rest, you're going to have to read yourself. I want to share with you just a few lessons that I picked up as I've been reading through the story. And we'll talk about the story a little bit as I go through those. So those lessons are this. The first one in the word. The word, only word you have to remember is Opportunity opportunity. God placed Moses of slave heritage in the palace of the king, and there he was educated in all the wisdoms of the Egyptians, and it says that it was powerful in speech and action. Moses had the opportunity. There was a burning bush that Moses saw and took opportunity to respond to. Don't miss opportunities. So when you're at work, when you're with your neighbors or with your relatives or with your friends, look for opportunities. I would suggest that they're there for us, we just miss them. Just like we miss a burning bush burning probably all the time because we're too busy. I have tried to, I'm trying to get this practice of listening to podcasts while I drive. All right, I want to redeem that time. I tend to drive a lot. I'm driving to Mount Laurel, often from my home at Echo. It's a little bit of a drive, but I found all these nice back roads. It's so wonderful. I love that drive. And it's 20, 25 minutes where I can just redeem the time listening to a podcast. But here's what happens. My mind is so easily distracted that I'm listening to this podcast. I just got a You're going to love this. This is how Bible geeky I can be, all right? I just bought... A three-hour, three-hour commentary on Leviticus. It's a podcast, a three-hour Leviticus podcast. I'm a Bible geek. I'm sorry. But it's going to take me about eight hours because here's what happens. It's really good, people. It's really good. Here's what happens, though. Here's what happens is I get ten minutes in, and then I'm like, oh, look at that. Well, I'm driving, so I'm not doing that. But I, and next thing you know, I'm like, oh, and I have to hit back 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, and, and, and jump back to figure out, all right, where did I, all right, I'm easily, missing opportunities, folks. We miss them all the time, I would suggest. Let me give you some clues. I stole these from Andy Stanley, all right? These are, he calls them three cues. I want to call them three knots, all right? Opportunities, three knots to listen for when you are in a conversation with someone else. If someone uses these words, it's not going well. Like, my job is not going well. 
Things at home are not going well. Things are not going well with my kids. If the words not going well are used, your response should be, or could be, hey, would you like to go to church with me? I found that my faith has an incredible, incredible impact on my family and on my kids. Not going well. That's the first not. The second not is not prepared for. So someone may say to you, I'm not prepared for this next stage of life. I'm not prepared for my child growing up. I'm not prepared for the test results that may come this week. I'm not prepared for what's happening next in my marriage. So not prepared for, your response could be, hey, what are you doing on Sunday? Let me tell you, my faith has had this huge impact when I was in one of those situations like that. Not going well, not prepared for, and the third one is not in church. So because what often happens with those others, would you like to go, is the response is, yeah, I don't go to church, or I'm not in church. And your response shouldn't be, yeah, I know that. <laughs> but it could be, well, why don't you join me? Why don't you go with me? Let's meet for breakfast beforehand, because I'm not on setup this week. And they're going to go, what is set up? And you're going to go, well, I arrive two hours early. I get really sweaty setting up flags. Uh, and we, and, we, live in, and we, we worship in a cafeteria. Or you can say, why don't you meet me at 1030 and afterward we'll go to lunch. There's a Panera just around the corner from our church. Not going well, not prepared for, not in church. Three knots, okay? So opportunity is the first word. Opportunities are for second word, limitations. Limitations. When God gave Moses the now go command, Moses hesitated. He said things like, what if they don't believe me? Lord, I've never been eloquent. Lord, please send someone else. Moses was very aware of his inadequacies, probably because he had murdered someone 40 years earlier. All right? Probably because when he tried to break up a fight, it didn't go well. And probably because he found out that the Egyptian king wanted to have him killed and he had hightailed it out of town. But he knew of his inadequacies. Hey, let me just let you know, we're all inadequate. You and I are limited. It's okay that we have limitations. It's why I've made one of my mantras, the statement that I shared with you a few weeks ago from St. Augustine. Pray as if everything depended on God. Work as if everything depended on you. I'm going to work really hard at this, at all those things I do in faith. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to work as hard as I can, thinking that it's all me, knowing that it's all God. Work really hard at it because we're limited. And connected with limitations is this. Trust God. That's number three, trust God. In response to Moses' hesitation, in response to all of his reasons for why he couldn't because of his limitations, God promised Moses, I will be with you. Remember about six weeks ago during the message I talked about the with us God? He's still the same God. He's still with us. God's able to do in us what he intends. So pray as if everything depended on God. Work as if everything depended on you. So the first word was what? 
opportunities. Second word, limitations. Third, trust God. And the fourth one, it's actually two words. Well, it's three if you don't use an ampersand. Challenges and disappointments. Challenges and disappointments. The Exodus is an example of the challenges and disappointments that come with following God. Throughout the story, the Israelites seem to take two steps forward and one step backward. The Israelites are following God, except when they are not. At every challenge, they complained. They complained for food. They complained for water. They complained for direction. If they were left to, when they were left to idly stand by and wait, like when God was giving Moses the all-important instructions on how to live as a culture, while they're just told, just wait. While they're idly sitting by, they create an idol. Two steps forward, one step back. Following God is going to feel like that. Challenges are going to come. I want you to do this. This summer, you're going to be at the beach sometime. When you're there, I want you to walk down to the edge of the water. And I want you to stand there as the water is hitting your ankles. I am not an ocean person, all right? It is too cold. All right, I go in the ocean when I'm in Haiti. That's the only time. All right, a mission trip. Every year, my kids say, You swam in the ocean? I go, It's in Haiti. It's like 90 degrees in the water. Yeah. I go, Not here. It's 70, and that's like cold. It hurts my ankles. I can't imagine what it would do to the rest of my body. But go down to the edge of the water, put your feet, and just as the water is touching your ankles, I want you to think of Moses. And I want you to imagine what was he thinking. When he walked down to the edge of the water and had to put his staff into the water. What kind of faith does that take to believe, to imagine, to envision that it's going to split? Or that it was going to do anything? Challenges are going to come your way. The ocean is in front of you, and the chariots of Egypt are behind you. That's an incredible challenge. Every ministry, every person of faith is going to experience disappointments and challenges. No path that God asks us to follow will always be smooth. And so for you and me, I have this one verse. I would suggest this may be a theme that runs through Scripture, and I say that sarcastically. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, what's he say? Are you kidding me? It's the same command Moses gave, uh, God gave to Moses. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, the with us God. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God's command, Moses, now go. God's command to you and I, now go. God sees and hears and responds. God is looking for you and me, his followers, to see and hear and respond. I love this verse from Scripture. As I think about what it means to lead a church or lead the church, it says this. Jesus said this about the church. He said, the gates of hell will not be strong enough to destroy it. And I'll never forget, I think it was in seminary, the first time I heard someone tell me this, is that the church is an offensive weapon. 
We're not supposed to be, hey, we're here. Come over here. It's supposed to be, hey, we're going there. I love our little outpost of faith here in Mount Laurel. Jeff coined it that the second week of our meeting, I believe. We're this outpost of faith in Mount Laurel. It's never been come over here. The church has always been designed to be offensive and to go there. Carl Henry said this, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. And so go to all the nations, Jesus said. Go everywhere. We have no boundaries. Not come here, go there. So when we see an injustice, when we hear of a broken relationship, we are to be a person of action. We are to respond. We are to see and hear and read. Two little quick stories and then we're done. We're going to have hot dogs. Two little now go opportunities that I'm seeing. The first one is our kids' ministry. We, every summer at Hope, do this thing called Summer of Service. Chris, how many years have we done this? Four or five years, Summer of Service, where our kids, they change their curriculum and they spend the summer coming up with ways to bless other people. And not bless people in the building, but bless people outside the building. It's a summer of service. And so our kids understand and are being taught it's about now go to see and hear and respond. So I'm going to challenge you during your hot dogs to check with Chris and find out how you can be involved. Dude, is that good? (laughs) Because you've just seen and heard, and now you need to go. So she needs help with all sorts of things. She probably wants you to supply something. She might not need you to volunteer, but she'll probably want you to do that too. But she'll want some stuff from you, all right? So now you've seen and you've heard and now go. And here's the second one. And this one I am incredibly excited about. I've talked about it, I think, every Sunday that I've been preaching here. Is that one of the challenges is how do we connect with people who are not part of this community, right? It's not about us putting out flag signs, which we do, and saying we're here. It's about how do we, when we're not here on Sunday morning, go there. And so we have this partnership that we found Uh, early on with Chick-fil-A. I'll tell you that story another time because it is one of those really cool stories that it almost was we bumped into them. Not that you don't know we're Chick-fil-A, but we literally bumped into them and that's how we've established this great connection with them. And everybody loves Chick-fil-A. And so we went to Chick-fil-A and said, we want to do a vacation Bible school. Now Voorhees did our vacation Bible school where 220 kids came and that was phenomenal and excellent. But Mount Laurel, we don't have 220 kids. So why don't we go find 220 kids? And so Chick-fil-A, everybody loves Chick-fil-A. My daughter wants to come every Thursday. She's 16, Chris. She's going to volunteer because I bribed her with meals at Chick-fil-A because she loves Chick-fil-A. I already bribed all of you. Everyone volunteers. I'm buying you a milkshake. I'm not buying meals except for her. She's She's blood. But what we've noticed is that people will do incredibly crazy things for their kids. And so how do you connect with people who don't go to church and their days are filled? Sunday's filled. People are not home on Sunday sitting in their jammies making pancakes and sausage and all those things that we may imagine, right? They're out busy. And so to carve out an hour is challenging. So we have to give them a reason to. And how about doing it through their kids? I landed on this light bulb of an idea when we were at the Chick-fil-A egg hunt. If you remember, those of you who were there, there was, it had snowed the weekend before. 
and we, there was, we're in the parking lot of Chick-fil-A, and there are 15-foot snowdrifts all around us. And there was like a 30-mile-an-hour wind blowing, and all the eggs, hundreds, thousands of eggs that were laid out in the parking lot were literally blowing into piles because the wind was so strong. Right? It was the worst possible day, uh, first possible spring day you can imagine, 30 degrees, high winds, and there were hundreds of kids and families lined up at 8 a.m. on a Saturday. Why? Because it was for their kids, right? So let's do this Chick-fil-A thing because people will come. So Chick-fil-A has sent out an invitation. We're going to do six Thursdays. You can talk to Chris about this because, or Judy, she knows the dates. I don't know the dates for those things. I just know it's Thursdays and I have to be there, all right? And, uh, but, but here's the deal. Uh, Chick-fil-A sent an invitation to their mailing list. Those are not people part of our mailing list, to Chick-fil-A's mailing list, people that love Chick-fil-A. And they're already responding and signing up for a Hope Family Craft Night. So we're going to connect with people who are not part of this community of faith, who live in Mount Laurel and Morristown and all those areas surrounding those Chick-fil-A's. And then we found out they have two Chick-fil-A's. So our footprint keeps expanding. So now you've seen and you've heard and now go. We need you to sign up for those things. We need you to be a presence at Chick-fil-A. If you show up and volunteer, you get a milkshake, all right? If you just show up and you don't want to volunteer, spend eight bucks and get a meal, all right? Meet people there, all right? Wear Hope shirts. We're going to connect with people who are not part of this community, people who are living in that world that we just talked about that is suffering and broken. And we have this incredible opportunity. And we have this with us God who's there despite our limitations. And we're going to have challenges and we're going to see disappointments along the way. But yet we have a God who challenges us to go. Go, go. Be the church that goes. So we stand with me for closing prayer. I'm going to pray that we're dismissed and I'm also going to pray for our hot dogs that they settle so well. So please don't rush out. We really want to spend some time with us. We get some music to play, and uh, we'll have our, uh, our five-minute Fourth of July barbecue. And so now, uh, so Jesus, we thank you. Thank you, God, for this time that we have to worship you. Thank you, God, for uh, the love that you have poured out into our lives. And God, I pray that we would know that, that no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, God, that your desire is to forgive us and to empower us, and God, to send us out. And so, God, I pray your blessing on each person here. And God, whatever the circumstance may be in life, that they would know that your desire is for there to be a calling on their lives. That in their workplace and in their homes, that, God, we would see and we would hear of the brokenness that's going on around our world. And that, God, we would respond and act in love. And now, God, I pray that you would bless our time of community and fellowship as we uh, spend some time together connecting with each other. And so, God, we thank you for all these things and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great day.